0: The tour content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. So, uh, uh, welcome to this intro to Tehillim, uh crash course, how to learn him? crash course. So this is different than our usual shir because this is not going to be as, by nature, it's not going to be as interactive. Uh, this is kind of me vomiting out all of my, uh, my method, <laughs> and the goal is to set it up. For subsequent weeks, okay so uh, I'm gonna trust you to interrupt if you have questions um, and I can't see if you're raising your hands uh, again, I don't I don't know who is usually not in this year, but that, that's the routine. So uh, if you want to interrupt just ask questions. The second half of this is gonna be more inter- interactive, but the first part is just gonna be like uh, talking about how I learned Helen. okay so let's go over some basic facts here. okay um, who is the author of favoritevored Helen? So according to most it's David and Malik. uh some prakim were either written by others like Mizmoshir, Levinei Korach, or Tefillah LeMoshe, or they were written in the character of other people. Unclear, who knows whether it matters or not, but uh, it's attributed to David. Okay, when was it written? Mostly during David's lifetime, but possibly some of the other ones were before or after. What time period are the Proclaims about? So this is the, the tricky thing. So some are about the past, okay, about Claudius Yisrael, some are about the present, uh, situations that David Amalek was going through, or things that Klayasra was going through. And then some are about the future because it was written in HaKodesh. The difficulty is there's no real way to tell from the Parak. Uh, you'll look at any given parak. I mean, I shouldn't say any given parak, you'll look at many prokim and you'll have you know a three-way Mach Locus between the Rishonim. Is this written about the past? Is this written about David's life? Or is this written about the future? Okay. So If I knew a method, I would say a method, but um, I believe there's actually either the Radak or the Meiri, I don't have it on hand, who says like, there's no method, (laughs) you know, uh, but like, you know, uh, at the very least we can say that there's a lot of opinions about this. So very difficult to tell. And how long is Telam? So this is the longest book by chapters. I don't know about by Psukim, 150 chapters, um, 2,500 Psukim plus, Okay. Um, so w- what this means, what's good for us is that we're going to have a lot to learn if we stick with this for the year. Um, in fact, since Gersh is in this year, I, I got to say that I, one of my formative memories of being in yeshiva was that I would get up for Han Eitz. I don't know what years this was. I, I want to say it's like 2003 to 2005 or something like that. I would wake up in the morning for Han Eitz, and you and Mendy had been learning Tehillim for an hour, and I think he went through the entire safer. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was my that was my memory. Uh, and it was it was like for for two years. And I remember thinking to myself, like, how much we would gain if we went through all 150 chapters of Tehillim, even on a, an initial level, you know. So, like, you know, I, we get to that level. <laughs> we'll see. There's a lot to learn. Okay, so what is the subject of Tehillim? So, my if I had to summarize it in one sentence. Uh, or one uh, one answer, it would be man's relationship to God and God's relationship to man and the rest of his creations, okay? And to define the terms here, by man, I mean three things. I mean human beings in general, okay? There are certain Prochmah of him that are true of every Salome Elohim, any human being, regardless of whether they're Jewish or not Jewish, okay? Man, in terms of B'nai Israel in particular, in terms of the nation that God chose and everything that happened to us, And then the third is, I would say it's David, but I would really call it the Yachid, because what I mean by the Yachid is someone who is in David's realm, okay? Whether that's David and Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, some other Tzadik, but someone who is a distinguished individual who is at like the top of, you know, the echelons of human perfection, okay? So that's what I mean by man's relationship to God. Um, and we'll have to see that from Peric to parak. I mean, do we learn this as this is how every person relates to God, or this is how the tzaddik relates to God, or this is how B'nai Israel relate to God? Okay, that's going to be an open question in every case. Okay, what do I mean by God's relationship to man? So, sorry, I mean, um, uh, what I mean by man's relationship to God. So that is in terms of two things, thoughts, emotions and actions. Okay, by thoughts, I mean that Tehillim does give you certain insight, like certain actual ideas about God uh, knowledge of God. Okay. Like intellectual knowledge for lack of a better term, but then emotions are the big thing. You know, Rabbi Moskowitz said many times that anytime you see a book that repeats itself a lot, then you know, that it is written, uh, that it is addressed to the emotions, not exclusively to the emotions, but you know, that it's addressed to the emotions because the mind only needs to hear things once. Uh, and then it gets the idea. You don't find in the Gemara, the same, Halachic statements being repeated over and over and over again in slightly different words. You know, they'll be brought up for different intellectual purposes, but in Tehillim you'll find the exact same ideas being presented in many, many different contexts. You know, God design the universe with Chochmah. God has mercy on his creations. God, you know, listens to the Tadiq. You know, these are reiterated over and over and over again. And just like Mishle, where you need to hear the idea from many, many different angles and in many different scenarios to really impact the emotions. So Talmud is, is meant to impact the emotions, clearly. You don't need 150 chapters to do this for the mind. And then lastly, actions. This is something that, again, I mentioned uh, in the Shear, uh, this Felish Shear last night, that the purpose of God describing his midos to us, his actions, um, is in order that we emulate them. You know, uh, this is this is commanded in the midst of the halakta bedrachav, that you should walk in his ways. And this is best expressed in the Ramam at the end of the morning of which I gave Shiron and Erev Yom Kippurim, that the whole purpose of God, um, you know, so to speak, stooping to the level, bringing himself down to anthropomorphize his actions is so that we can emulate them and enact his will in the world. And I think a lot of tell him is about that also showing how God interacts with his creations so that we could, excuse me, so that we can emulate them in our, in our actions. So that's what I mean by man's relationship to God. Again, interrupt at any time. If you have questions, um, what do I mean by God's relationship to man? So God relates to man in two ways, hashgacha uh, pratis and hashgacha klalis. Hashgacha pratis, we mean by that uh, for lack of a better term, Individual supervision, divine intervention, uh, and hashgacha kallahis is the laws of nature or the way God relates to the universe as a whole. Um, I, I almost—I I, guess—the more I learn about about <laughs> hashgacha, the least inclined I am to use these terms. I mean, someone can fact check me. I was told that the first person to use these terms to coin these terms was. Ibn Tibbon, I forgot which Ibn Tibbon, but the one who who first translated the Rambam. And that these are, if you look at the Torah, I mean, these are not terms that the Torah uses. Nowhere in in you know in describing God's interactions with man in the Chumash does it say that God was mashgiah bahashgaha pratis on man. You know, he uses the term brachos, klalos, you know. Yedativ, Laman Asher uh You know, uh, you know, uh, I knew Abraham. Uh, it uses a lot of, you know, Ene uh, Hashem. You know, the the eyes of Hashem are on the earth. So I'm kind of wary to use the term Hashgacha practice and Hashgacha Kolos. I use them because that's how the Mefarshim talk. But David himself doesn't use these terms. So I think one of the benefits we're going to get from learning Tehillim is we'll see a much clearer. Unity between Hashkacha Pradesh and Hashkacha Klaal. not that they're the same, but that they're spoken about in the same way because it's all, it is all God. It's all Masay Hashem. You know, uh, we relate to it differently. Just like there's no actual difference in God in terms of the Midas Harachamim and Midas Adin, in terms of his his, you know, his conduct of mercy and his conduct of strict justice, it's just the way we relate to it and categorize it in human terms. So too, there's no essential difference in God between Hashkaka Pradesh and Hashkaka So this is one of the things we're going to have to learn about as we go through Tehillon. Um, What's the purpose of Tehillin? Okay, so this is the subject. What's the purpose? So my understanding of the purpose is uh, related to the subject, obviously, to develop our relationship with Hashem intellectually and emotionally. Um, <laughs> And to figure out what that means. I mean, you know, we know what it means to have a relationship with another human being. That's a very two way street where the other person has emotions, we have emotions, they have a personality, we have a personality, and we're interacting with them in real time and exchanging back and forth. Obviously, with God, God doesn't have a personality, He doesn't have emotions. So, what does it mean for us to have a a relationship with God? That's something we're going to have to find out, but that's something that clearly the way the WML talks about Hashem is in relationship terms is in emotional terms, you know, uh, same thing with Shalom HaMalch and Shir Shirin. So this is one of the subjects that I hope to be able to make, uh, you know, make progress on as we learn to him. Okay. Uh, I'll pause here. Any questions on what we said so far? Will i take a drink of water. All righty. Okay. So, um, this, I felt like I had to mention just because, uh, you know, this is part of my, my high school, uh, curriculum, but people, I think are the, the average Jew is used to, um, interacting with him, not as a text for learning, but as a text for saying, you know, whether it's saying to him, like in tailing groups or for the sick or saying to him in terms of like davening, you know, you say it, it's not like you daven to him you know? So what is the purpose of saying to him? So I wrote, uh, two articles on this, um, I'll. Uh, I guess I'll link this in the YouTube videos. Um, uh, in terms of how to say "tailor for the sick" without violating Halakha and then what the purpose of saying Taylor is. I forgot what I called the articles. So this is just a snippet, but the best. Um, uh, and I felt I felt obligated to include this because. This is going This might be one of the ways that we incorporate the ideas of Tehillim into our lives. So this is in the Sefer Chinuch on Mitzvah Tauf Kuf Yod Be'ez, uh excerpt from a larger, uh, a larger context. He says, "Chazal he's Lomar mizmorim So Chazal mentioned to say these to Tihlan. Sheish bem davarim hanefesh hayodea osam lachasos b'ashem, that inspire the soul that knows them to shelter in Hashem. Ulahasim bo kol miftacho to place all of one's security in Him. Velikboa bilvavo yeraso, and to establish a fear of him firmly in his heart, velismoch alchastovetuvo, and to rely on his kindness, and goodness, Umitohis orrus alze yihie nishmar mikol Nezek. And because of this inspiration, he will be protected from every harm without a doubt. This is talking about the common idea of how Tilm can protect you. Now, again, this is a whole she'er in, in its own right. The reason I'm mentioning this now is because, again, like I said, this is going to be part of ideally how we use Tilm this is going to change the way we say to him that we're saying it in order to inspire our soul that knows what we're saying. Cause we're going to be learning it in order to change our emotional relationship to Hashem. And as a result of that, there will be a real world effect, which the Ramam says is we will be protected from every harm. Okay. What that means, obviously, you know, you're not going to be able to, uh, say to him, when you walk through a war zone and be protected from every harm, you know, till is not going to guarantee you that you're not going to get sick or die, you know? So we have to understand what that means, but you see something interesting from here. Uh, I, I think, I think Rebbe made this point in a sheer. I don't even remember what sheer was. I just hear it in his voice that, um, there's no idea of like, okay, we're going to go say Chumash, we're going to go say Mishle, you know, but there is an idea of saying to Hill to was written in a way that was by design is meant to be recited and to inspire yourself to change your emotional relationship to Hashem. And that's different. You know, all other ideas ideally should impact you emotionally, but there's no idea of reciting the other Psukim, you know? Uh, So this is something that we have to keep in mind and figure out how to utilize this in our, uh, uh, to benefit from Tehillim. Okay. Now we get to the practical, the nitty gritties, okay, the method. So first of all, I've noticed, uh, this is not from any specific of the Mepharsim. This is, I think, from aggregate, what I've learned. There are three modes that Tehillim are written in. It's not agreed upon in a given parak which mode it's written in. So anytime you learn a parak, you have to think these three modes, which one is it in, okay? Um, One is biographical, is that there's certain Perikim that David Hamel wrote about um, or wrote In response to instances in his own life, like when he was fleeing from Shaul or when he was opposed, uh, when his kingship was opposed by people who were uh, challenging his legitimacy or when he did, he committed the hate, you know, um, and he was being rebuked. So certain prakim are about David himself. And again, when I say about David himself, I don't mean that the only relevance is for David because then he wouldn't have written it you can extrapolate from there to the David-like individual, the yachid, you know, uh, and uh, go beyond his particular circumstances, but the facts are about him. Okay. Number two is national. Uh, as I mentioned before, some are about Kla Israel as a whole, and it's, a, you know, betes Israel mimetraim besiakob meam loes, you know, al-naharos bavel. These are all about instances in the life of Kla Israel, either in the past or what was going through when David was talking about it or in the future from Ruch Kodesh. And then the third mode I call universal mode, which is about uh, which is teaching us universal ideas, which apply to all Jews, all humans at all times, and have no context. Um, I think we're familiar with this from Ashrei. That's probably the best example. If you look at Ashrei, it's not about David at a specific time. It's not about Kli All of the ideas in Ashrei. That's always relevant. You know, it's relevant at all times. So these are the three modes. Um, and I again, I I, I should have uh, pulled this up as a source. I think the redoc does say that there's no way to tell uh, from the words because, you know, you might think, oh, when David is talking in the singular, then that means it's about himself. And then the redoc says, no, sometimes he's talking in the singular singular because of all of Klai Israel, you know, or because he's a human. So there's no real, there's no, there's no secret to tell. Some sukkim are, you know, easier than, uh, sorry, some Prokim are really easier than others. Like, you know, you're not going to say, but say me but is talking about David Amal. You know, that one's pretty clear it's about Klai Israel, but, in general, you have to be aware. And my tip is, and I don't know if this is a tip or a cop-out, okay? Uh, I don't know if this is uh, uh, expert advice or laziness. When I learn to Hillen, I default to the universal mode, assuming that it's about all people in all circumstances. And the reason why is two reasons. Number one is definitely laziness, is the other two modes take a lot of research. If you're learning it about David, you really have to learn the accompanying chapters in Sefer Shmuel or wherever it is about what David and Melch was going through at the time. Or if it's about Klai you have to learn about that instance. You know, like, let's say, um, you know, in uh, in Kabbalah Shabbos, we say, you know, uh, and we say, <laughs> I, can't, I can't quote it, I am sorry. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. So that's about Klai on the midbar, you know. So if you really want to learn that talem, you have to learn about about how they tested Hashem and Masa Umariva, you know. So I like to assume that it's about the universal mode because that's the most accessible mode. And if the mafarshim indicate that no, you really need to learn the incidents in David's life or in Klai life, then you got to go there and research it if you want to be thorough. But you know, and I, my guess is that when we learn to heal him, we're pro because we have 150 chapters to choose from. I'm probably gonna err towards the side of the universal Prokin. Okay, I look. I also found find that those are easier to relate to. You know, if it's about all human beings, guess what? I'm a human being. You know, if it's about David, guess what? I'm not on David and Alex level, so it's much less accessible. And if it's about Christ going through a specific instance, you know, again, it's harder to relate to. So, uh, you know. Uh, we're gonna probably choose the universal, but just be aware that the three modes exist. Okay. Any questions on that? Another sip of water. Okay. Crashing right along. Uh, okay. So now we get to the crux, which is the method. How do you learn talem? So I'm not an expert. Um, I, uh, unlike Mishlei, where I have learned Mishlei for 20 years, almost constantly. Uh, and I feel like I do have some expertise in Michele, I don't have expertise in Tahilhane, I can tell you what I've done. Okay. So look at this as here's what I've done that's worked. Okay. There are three methods I use for learning Um, Oh, I, I, I forgot. I included a disclaimer here. Yeah. I don't know the method, but there are three me- methods that I do use and I don't use them to the exclusion of one another. They overlap. One, I call the classical method. Two is Adler's four questions. And three is the pivot point method. Okay, so let's let's do one at a time. The classic method, any of you have been in my uh, Mishle Shirim, or in many other learning scenarios, this is how we learn anything, okay? It's five stages. Stage one is reading and translating, okay? So you got to get the shot of the psukim. Um, I have an asterisk there. Let's see what I have at the end. I guess I didn't include it in the animation. So read and translate the psukim. Um, and this takes a while, you know, like telling this poetic, um, you know, you got to pick, am I just going to rely on someone else's translation or am I going to try to fight through it and work on my own translation? Like we do in Michele. Um, that's up to you, what your time is like, what your priorities are. After you get the translation, ask all the questions that you have major, minor, obvious, non-obvious, factual, conceptual, get them all out on the table. And unlike a puzzle initially, where you're only going to have like, you know, five to 10 questions, you might have lots of questions until them. Um, which is why I think it does help to classify them as major and minor questions, because as we'll see, you're going to focus on the major questions uh, and the minor questions you really mostly won't have time for unless you want to spend a lot, a lot of time on the parrach. Okay, then you go to thinking, which is you either try to figure out answers to the individual questions or you work on trying to discover the capital T, capital M, capital I main idea, the idea that unlocks the entire paric, Okay, um, so got to go with your intuition there. Then you formulate the main idea, try to get it as clear as possible. And then you test the main idea by saying, does this answer our questions? Does this fit smoothly into the words of the paric without being forced? Meaning if I read the paric, then is this naturally the idea that I see there, or does it seem like I'm projecting? And is it in line with reality? Is this actually like does it is it consistent with the rest of Torah? Is it consistent with your 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 knowledge of the world, your life experience, et cetera? Okay. This is the classic method. Can't go wrong with this, but you can go long with this. Okay. Uh this this takes a lot more time than learning Mishle. Uh again, Mishlay is one pusuk. You know, a lot of prakimantalim are anywhere from the shortest parak is two the longest parak is 180 something took him or something like that. I don't remember the the number. So, you know, you might not want to use this method all the time, okay? Which is why I prefer the next method, okay? So um, the first... Okay, those who don't know who Mortimer Adler is, uh, an American philosopher, um, Aristotelian, Jewish, secular, um, lived in the most ideal time in American history you can ever live in, okay? If you had to pick one time to live in, in American history where you got to see the most, he would... Lived from 1902 to 2001. Okay, wrote uh, dozens of books on philosophy. Was one of my main introductions to philosophy. Uh, you know, to secular philosophy, to Aristotelian philosophy. First book I read is a book he wrote in uh, 1976 with uh, Charles Van Doren called "How to Read a Book." It is what it says. It is. It's it's how to read a book. How to read thoughtfully. I think he updated it uh, later. So in the book, he has you know a lot of methods, but the place where he boils it down, he boils it down to the four questions that any reader asks of a book. And I wanna read through uh, his exact words because I think they're formulated very carefully. And also uh, this might be in audio form. So I wanna make sure that I read everything here. So so these are his words, okay? Question one, you ask of any book, what is the book about as a whole? You must try to discover the leading theme of the book and how the author develops this theme in an orderly way by subdividing it into its essential and subordinate themes or topics. Question two, what is being said in detail and how? You must try to discover the main ideas, assertions, and arguments that constitute the author's particular message. Question three, is this book true in whole or in part? You cannot answer this question until you have answered the first two. You have to know what is being said before you can decide whether it is true or not. When you understand a book, however, you are obligated, if you are reading seriously, to make up your own mind. Knowing the author's mind is not enough. And question four, what of it? Uh, If the book has given you information, you must ask about its significance. Why does the author think it is important to know about these things? Is it important uh, to you to know them? And if the book has not only informed you, but also enlightened you, it, it is necessary to seek further enlightenment by asking what else follows, what is further implied or suggested. Now, I cannot claim that I do this with every book that I read. In fact, I've done this with very few books that I've read. But the books that I've done it with thoroughly... It's been crazy what results you get if you apply this method to every book. You know, a uh, uh, little-known fact about Yeshiva history, um, what year was it? it? must have been 2007. Uh, Yehuda Rappaport and I founded the Great Books of Farakwe Discussion Club, which, which lasted for about two years, where we read through the great books, starting with uh, with, we read, you know, Plato's Republic, or The Apology, The Republic, uh, Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics not all of it but chapters from it um, Sophocles and we applied this method consistently you know and we got great results like you'll get a lot of clarity from the books when we do that I had a harusa for several years with Dan Levine where we tried to apply this method to Torah and then we tried to apply it to Breshi Shemos Vayikra, by Midbar uh, and Devarim you know um, I applied this in my English class uh, I, when I was doing Smicha stuff I applied this to Yoridea I made a Yoridea um, uh, approach for this. Obviously, it had to be adapted a lot, but you know, this is a great method. Okay. So what I did is when I was lost in Tehillim, I applied this to Tehillim. So this is the Adler method as applies to Tehillim. And these are the modified four questions. Question one, what is this Perik saying as a whole? What is the theme or subject of the Perik? What is the main idea or message? So this is where this is what I said in method one, where you just try to say, what is the main idea? And when I say the main idea, theme is a bad word here. Okay. You, you know, you could say the theme is Yemosa Mashiach, but that's not going to get you anywhere. When I say define the main idea, it has to have at least a subject and a predicate. It has to be a sentence. Okay. Can you state this idea in a sentence? Okay. Or if you're, if you've been in my classes before, if you can do it in four sentences, you know, that's even better. My, my, my measure for whether you can state an idea clearly is one to four sentences. Okay. So not just the theme is X, Y, Z. The theme is, has to be a sentence where you say, what is the idea he's saying? Okay. Two, what is this parent saying in detail and how, what did the individual psukim mean? Why are the psukim ordered in this manner? Why did he say things in this way? So ideally what you do is you figure out the main idea and then you run it through the psukim and understand okay how do how does each puzzle contribute to the development of the main idea you know if a puzzle doesn't fit in does that mean i need to tweak the main idea or does it mean i'm missing something in the puzzle so you you check it through in, in, in the particulars okay seeing if it, if it fits and it fits naturally not forced three is this pair true in whole or in part now again Adler's talking about all books and in all books, it's totally possible that the author is wrong. We don't assume that David and Malachi is wrong, right? Because we assume he had Ruach HaKodesh mm. who's a great Chacham. Possibly he was wrong, but we don't assume that. But as Adler says, it's not enough to rely on David's authority. We must be convinced to the satisfaction of our own minds to the point where we can convincingly explain and ideally rationally demonstrate these ideas to someone else. Okay, now again, Depending on the paragraph of telling that you're talking about, you may or may not be able to demonstrate it to someone depending on their premises. For example, you know, I think that prakim about tshuva, prakim about perfection, prakim about like, you know, tochaka, you know, about nature, those you should be able to articulate to any other person because those should be ideas that are true no matter what. Ideas about Hajgaha about nevuah, about mashiach, that you're only going to be able to articulate to a Jew who has those premises. Okay. But you got to ask, is the idea true to the satisfaction of your own mind? Okay. Not enough to just accept David based on authority. And lastly, and uh, in some ways, most importantly, what is the purpose of the parak? So what, what effect is this supposed to have on us? How is how it is supposed to change our lives or our relationship um, with uh, with Hashem. Okay. Again, Tehillim is different than other books in that it is overtly written to try to be Miss or our Nefesh, to arouse our souls to change. So, just like in Mishlei, we ask for every puzzle, what is the practical idea or insight? How does this affect practical decision making? Here, the question we have to ask at the end of every paragraph is, how does this affect our relationship with Hashem? How does it affect my view of my place in the world? How does this affect, you know, all those other things that we said earlier? Okay. So that's the Adler method. Uh, any questions on this? Yeah, I have a question. Yes.
1: Um, so in your steps, you go from asking what is the parak saying as a whole to asking what is the parak saying in detail, like I assume specific specific sukim, But yeah. do you think there is ever like a middle step of defining different sections of the parak and what each section is saying?
0: Yes. Is that and before that's be or, or later method. on? Yeah, it's going to bring us to our third method. You really could do this in this method also. Like uh, Sometimes it helps, like we did in Kohelis, to um, uh, break it up into sections that seem to be thematically uh, uh, connected. But that's really where the advantage of my third method comes in. Okay, so we'll see that in a second. Any other questions? Okay, now this method, uh, I I think I said this when I first gave the in Yeshiva. I don't know whether... uh, uh, I forgot what... Isaac, what did you call the... um, the Mishle Kabal, is that, is that the term? Wait, is Isaac here?
1: Yeah. Yeah, the Mishle Kabal.
0: Mishle Kabal, right. So, so <laughs> this is a reference to me, Rabbi Moskowitz and Ken Sinclair, all of my initial learning of Michele and Kohalas was, uh, uh, sorry, Michele and was, was with the three of them. I honestly don't know if I came up with this, if Robin Moskowitz came up with this, uh, or Ken came up with this, okay? So uh, I, I can't give credit. I could just give scattered scatter credit to all of these. Is, but we call it the pivot point theory, okay? So the premise is like this. Every Peric of Tehillon has a pivot point where the Peric shifts from a theme to another, from one tone to another, a subject to another, a linguistic style to another, it, it shifts okay there's a, a pivot okay um, And the method is as follows step one, identify the pivot point. okay this is after you've translated the, the paric obviously identify the pivot point. Step two, analyze the part of the paric before the pivot point on its own. Ignore the rest, just treat it on its own and then try to get the main idea of that half. like Isaiah was saying like like figure out that part okay then analyze the part of the paric after the pivot point on its own and try to get the main idea. Ignore the first part. Then figure out the main idea that unifies the two halves of the parak and justifies the pivot. Okay. In other words, not only are you trying to figure out what unifies the two, but you're trying to say what is Shlomo trying to effectuate to effect in us by making our minds switch. Like, let's say, for example, I, I'm just making this up. Let's say, for example, in the first half of the parak, Hashem is angry, in the second half, he's merciful. So, as the reader of Talem what is supposed to change when we relate to an angry God to relating to a merciful God you know or let's say in the first half he's talking about himself and then he starts talking about Clasterol what, what what happened there like what, what is he viewing himself in a different context is he trying to get us to like think about the nation from the individual like you know you try to justify it now if you've anyone who's been in my mercy stream, you'll notice what have I done? ingeniously or intellectually dishonestly, I've taken every paragraph of Tillman and made it into a Mishleipasuk, <laughs> all right? Every puzzle has two opposites and you know you define the opposites and you try to get the subject. Uh, but uh, but this is something that I, I, I'm I convinced is actually a method. I don't think I'm just being lazy or like projecting. So to show you what I mean, and this is where we get to the more participatory, participatory part of this year. Um, we're gonna go through a couple of of Tehillim and, uh, and give Uh, I'll show examples of identifying the pivot point. Okay. Now, if we were doing this thoroughly, we would go through the translation, you know, in Hebrew, look at all the nuances, but um, I'm, because uh, we don't have a lot of time, I'm going to speed read the parak. Okay. And I'm reading it again, because this might be only listened to by audio for some people and look on the screen. As I read, see if you can identify the pivot point. And if you were here in my shir in uh, June of 2019 in yeshiva, don't give it away, okay? Unless you forgot, in which case, you can, like, give it away, (laughs) all right? So here we go. This one should be familiar for us because we say it at least uh, twice a week. Uh, A psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to thank Hashem and to sing to your name, O exalted one, to recount your kindness in the morning and your faithfulness in the nights. Upon a ten-string instrument and upon lyre with singing accompanied by harp. For you have gladdened me, Hashem, with your actions. About your handiwork, I will sing joyously. How great are your works, Hashem! How very deep are your thoughts! A boorish man doesn't know, and a fool doesn't understand this. When the wicked bloom like grass, and all the doers of iniquity blossom, it is to destroy them forever and ever. But you remain exalted forever, Hashem. For behold, your enemies, Hashem. For behold, your enemies shall perish. Dispersed shall be all doers of iniquity. You raised my pride like a ra'am. I was saturated with fresh oil. My eyes have seen my foes. When those who would harm me rise up, my ears have heard. A righteous person will flourish like a date palm, and like a cedar in Lebanon, he will grow tall. Planted in the house of Hashem, in the courtyards of our God, they will flourish. They will still be fruitful in old age. Vigorous and fresh they will be. To proclaim that Hashem is upright, my rock, in whom there is no injustice. Okay, so what? Pussy, do you think is the pivot that divides the parrot in half? Anyone?
2: I have an answer but i feel like i i, I want to it seems it's, it's the irony makes it I, I think if anyone else wants to
0: go ahead no no go ahead go ahead This is a safe space uh, As we
2: uh, uh, uh yeah the first the pivot is between the first and second pasuk there's nothing Ooh. about shabbos in here other than the, the designation of it being okay uh a, a for shabbos
0: okay that, that, that that's that's creative and the only basis on which i'm going to challenge it is a lot of prokemotilen have an introductory first pasuk. So I think that's more of a, a, a feature of the genre rather than like something unique to the parak. And and there are song psalms for different occasions. So so you're right in that that stands out from the parak, but but I think that that's not the pivot because that's like just a genre convention. Can
2: um, I venture a
0: thought?
2: Yeah. I would think maybe 6 or 7 where it pivots from, you know, I'm talking about um god like how wonderful god is and and um and then it talks about like the wicked or the iniquitous
0: Ah, okay okay so i think here the pivot is puzzle seven okay and this is a unique pivot and i'll show you why
2: two pivots
0: Uh, okay so i'll show you why this is your 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 intuition is correct so pivot point is seven. And here seven can be read with the first half or with the second half. Okay. And I'm going to show you what that's like by color coding it. Okay. If you read it with the first half, let's go, Uh, you know, so in three, four, five, he's talking about God's works. Okay. And then six, how great are your works, Hashem? How very deep are your thoughts? A Boorish man doesn't know and a fool doesn't understand this. And what is the this according to this reading? The wonder? Yeah, the wonder of Hashem's works and how deep his thoughts are. Okay. But you can also read seven with the second half. A boorish man doesn't know and a fool doesn't understand this, colon, when the wicked bloom like grass and all the doers of iniquity blossom, it is to destroy them forever and ever. Okay. And the second, so the first half is dealing, uh, sorry, first half, oh, sorry. First half is dealing with with, uh, the greatness of Hashem's works, that's creation. Second half is dealing with the, the fate of the wicked and the righteous. Okay. And David is saying in the middle, a boorish man doesn't understand this. Okay. Now without giving it away, this is the first paragraph that we're going to plan to learn on Thursday. Okay. So I don't want to give away the idea, but this is what I mean when I say define each half and then try to see what justifies the pivot. And here you have this idea that the boorish man and the fool is lacking some understanding of the universe and of God's justice. And that's the unity of the parak. Okay, so we'll explore that uh, leaned on on Thursday. okay. Let's go through some more examples. okay, I'm gonna again, speed read this here. We got thirteen minutes in here. This should be enough. For the conductor of Psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God and his handiwork is declared by the firmament. Day following day expresses speech and night following night speaks knowledge. There is no speaker and there are no words. Their voice is unheard. Throughout the earth, their measuring line goes forth and their words reach the ends of society. For the sun, he set up a tent in their midst. And it, the sun, is like a groom coming forth from his wedding canopy, rejoicing like a warrior to run the course. The ends of the heavens is its source and its circuit is to their other end and nothing is hidden from its heat. The Torah of Hashem is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Hashem is trustworthy, making wise the simpleton. The ordinances of Hashem are upright, causing the heart to rejoice. The commandment of Hashem is clear, illuminating the eyes. Fear of Hashem is pure, enduring forever. Do I need to go on? (laughs) You see, what is the pivot? Uh,
1: It switches from talking about the heavens and the sun and then
0: to Torah. Right. So the first half of the parak is all about the heavens. Again, kind of like Ms. Mershili and Second half is all about the Torah and those who follow the Torah. Okay, so that's the pivot, and again, we would define what the first half is, then define what the second half is, and then see what is David Hamel getting at by transitioning. Okay, okay, this one should be easy. (laughs) This is the shortest parakim. Praise Hashem, all nations. We said this this morning in Halal. Praise Hashem, all nations. Praise Hashem, all regimes. For His kindness has overpowered us, but the truth of Hashem is forever. Hallelujah. Obviously, the pivot is in between the two psukim. Okay, Um, but the question here is more subtle. Okay, how do you define each half? right?
2: I feel like the second um, bit of the first seems like a pivot in between the two in that the regimes kind of can go either
0: way. Oh, so you said the second half of the first? Yeah. Uh, You'd have to convince me of that. All right. I'll think about it some way. I mean, I, I think in general, it's saying the same thing, you know, I mean, according to many Mufartin, it's exactly the same thing in different words. Nations and regimes are just synonyms, you know. Mm. You know, so Malvin. What does
2: Malvin say?
0: Malvin, of course, is going to say it's different. <laughs> <times. laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, but how would you characterize though the difference between the first half, uh, the first puzzle and the second puzzle If you had to like label what the differences are.
1: One is the command, and one is the reflection.
0: Good. One is a command. Second one is a reflection, whether it's reflection on the cause of the command or the outcome of the command or like, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, first one is saying what to do. Second is like explaining it. Okay, good. All right. Here's another one. Ah, this one's going to be different because here I think there is a, uh, there's room for debate, okay? Sometimes the pivot point is clear like in Ms. Mershi, Lema Shabbos, I don't think you could argue with that. Here, uh, I think there's room for debate. A psalm by David, Hashem is my shepherd, I shall not lack. In lush meadows, he lays me down. Beside tranquil waters, he leads me. He restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his namesake. Though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no will fear no harm. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You will prepare a table before me in view of my tormentors. You anointed my head with oil my cup overflows only goodness and kindness will pursue me all the days of my life and i shall dwell in the house of hashem for long days okay here there are multiple uh, possibilities uh what do you guys say
1: from five on
0: from five on okay now what makes you say that i happen to agree with you but uh we'll see if we agree for the same reasons
2: uh that's one of them the first is the parable the or the muscle of god uh, us being his flock and then all yeah. of a sudden it's uh god <laughs> okay good yeah, yeah. so the
0: way that uh i actually heard this first i think from rabbi maru if he said uh in the first half you're a sheep in the second half you're a human right uh first half is talking about you are uh you know he lays me down in lush meadows beside tranquil water. So he leads me. so he leaves me on paths of righteousness. I walk in the valley of shadow of death. You're riding your staff. You come for me. I mean, unless you've got some sort of weird relationship with David, he's not making you like lie down in meadows, you know, and guiding you with a staff. It's a mushroom for a sheep, you know? But in the second half, he's saying, you will prepare a table for me. Well, I don't know any sheep who eat at tables. You anoint my head with oil. That's a weird thing to do to a sheep. My cup overflows. Sheep don't have cups, you know? And in fact, Ibn Ezra also agrees with this. Uh, he goes so far as to actually like make uh, individual, um, clauses line up with others. So I, I color coded here in meadows, in pleasant meadows, he lays down me down, corresponds to you set up a table before me. So the equivalent of the sheep's table is meadows. Uh, in front of my tormentors by human corresponds to when I walk in the valley of the shadow of death by sheep, you, by tranquil waters, he leads me. That's how the sheep relate to water. But then you anoint my head with oil. That's what Ibn Ezra says for uh, the equivalent for humans. Okay. Now I said, that's not the only, I, I happen to think of that's correct. Uh, can anyone divide it in another way? I'll give you a hint. Okay. Don't just think in terms of the content. Think in terms of, uh, like linguistically or literarily.
1: It switches from, uh
2: third person to second person. Yeah. Right.
0: So he switches from third person to second person, uh, from, so that would be plus one, two, and three. He's speaking in third person. And then in four, five, four and five, he's talking in second person. And then he switches back to third person in, uh, number six. Okay. So that's another, another example of a different kind of switch. Okay. Let's do a couple more. Uh, and, uh, and then we'll end off with a few tips. Uh, Amidala, a song of ascents. This is Shira um, Behold, bless Hashem, all you servants of Hashem who stand in the house of Hashem in the nights. Lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless Hashem. May Hashem bless you from Zion, maker of heaven and earth. Where's the pivot?
1: After two. After two, right? Why do you say that? Um, the first two are telling people to bless Hashem and the third is saying Hashem will bless people.
0: Good. The first two are instructing people. The third is a request to Hashem. Okay, Um, here's another one. Uh, I'm not gonna read all the repeated phrases here. Give thanks to Hashem for he is good, uh, for his kindness endures forever. Then give thanks to the God of the heavenly powers. Give thanks to the Lord, the Lords, to Him who alone performs great wonders, to Him who makes the heavens with understanding, to Him who spread out of the heaven upon the waters, to Him who makes great lights, to the to the the sun for the reign of the day, the moon and the stars for the reign of the night, to Him who smote its rhyme through the firstborn and brought Israel forth from their midst with strong hand and outstretched arm, to Him who divided the sea of Reeds into parts and caused Israel to pass through it and through Pharaoh and his army to the Re- Sea of Reeds, to Him who led His people through the wilderness, to Him who smote great kings and slew mighty kings, Sichon the king of the Amorites and Og. The king of the Bashan and presented their land as a heritage, a heritage for Israel, his servant. In our lowliness, he remembered us and he released us from our tormentors. He gives nourishment to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of the heavens. Now, this is a trick question. Where's the pivot?
2: Are there two pivots?
0: Ooh, good. Where?
2: Uh, one through eight and then um nine through 15 and then 16 through 26 maybe
0: interesting okay what makes you say that that's different than i thought i I agree
2: between like god and and the and his creations in general specifically god is um being interacting with us sorry i'm a little nervous and taking him us out of egypt and then um like specifically with that and then his continued um guidance
0: okay so Um, you meant one through nine first of all not one through eight right yes okay yeah so that's definitely clear right Uh, And then where do you draw the line after that, um, after taking us through Mitzrayim? What do you say? Um, To him who smote great kings. Okay, yeah. So you definitely divide it into the chapters, right? You could definitely say that in the second half, there's two chapters of taking us out of Mitzrayim and then the stuff after Mitzrayim. Okay, that's good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I say there's two pivots in another way. Anyone see the other way? You're not wrong, Shailaya, by the way, but... uh, I,
1: I had another... All right. I guess. Really, I guess. Sure. <clears throat> um, I would think one to three, are yeah. a group, um, and then the whole thing until twenty five is the next group. Oh, nice.
0: Okay. Ooh. Okay, I like that. Right, because it's talking about giving thanks, right? And that's yeah, clearly versus, if you look at like the, uh, you know, the the second half of every puzzle it, it does sound like giving thanks to God for His kindness and grace forever is a the main theme.
1: Yeah, okay. I would say the first part is telling people to give thanks, and the second yeah, part okay. is tell is recognizing what God did in like particular
0: instances and the last two are saying in general
1: okay I, good thing.
0: That's i definitely hear that uh here's how i saw it like this oh, oh sorry what were you gonna say
2: i just there's it was going from everybody all humanity to call israel ah, so, yeah. all humanity
0: okay good yeah so th- that's that's how i i saw it as well one through nine is universal how god relates to the universe then 10 through 24 is how he relates to the people of Israel specifically. And then it pivots back to how mm-hmm. God relates to all the universe or to all animals in 25 and 26. So you can have a pivot back and forth. And I've seen this in multiple programs as well. Okay. So that's another variation. All right. Uh, there are many examples. Okay. Here's my disclaimer. So this is inevitably some of you are thinking or or, or will later think, Rabbi anyways, is this really true for every prayer in can Right? That all 150 chapters of Till and Half a Pivot Point? Answers, I have no idea. <laughs> okay. There are 150 Prakim. I have not learned even a third of them in depth. Okay. Probably less than that. Um, Remember, uh, I don't remember which Gemara. This is Rebbe Kiva's theory about S. I think there was a, a, a Gemara that says, like, he darshaned every instance of the word S to say what it meant. And he had a theory. And then he found, like, the last one and he couldn't work it out. So he abandoned the whole theory, you know? So, like, I would like to believe that the pivot theory, uh, pivot point theory, is true, and I, whenever I read a pair of Taelim, I do try to like look for a pivot point, you know, and I find it. But the question is, does this hold up? Even if it doesn't hold up for every single one, I think you can agree with me that for those individual Prokim, it's kind of undeniable that there is a pivot. So even if this is not a universal theory for all of Taelim, at least you got something there that you can work with when you see it, you know. Um, so this is just something you could start doing casually. Like when you read in Pesuchah de Zimra, you know, when you read Halal, like, you know, Shershal uh, Yom, look for a pivot point and like, get your mind working in there. And we'll find out, you know, you know, uh, God willing, if we learn all 150 Prakim of Tehillim, you know, we'll see uh, if the pivot point theory holds up. Okay. Ending off, any questions on the pivot point thing? Okay, ending off just a few miscellaneous tips, okay? Tip one is in Adler's uh, questions, okay, uh, what is the, uh, you should tackle his first question first, which is what is the Parikh saying as a whole, and then tackle question four before you do questions two and three, okay? And the reason why, this is advice, this is not like you have to. Reason why is because, you know, again, initially you can afford to get the entire understanding of the pasuk because it's one pasuk. In Tehillim, I've personally found if I want to understand every single detail of a Peric, I end up just being involved in it forever and then I give up, you know, or I lose interest or like, or I can't figure everything out. So I think aim to get the big picture, aim to get question one, what is it about as a whole? And two, what do I get out of it? And then if you're interested, start working it through in question two, what is it saying in detail and how? And like you'll gain from that, and you'll test your idea, but it's not essential. And question three: Is it true in whole or in part? Like anything else in the Masorah, you know, uh, we rely on tradition unless we are able to verify it on our own. I think David and Melach seems like a pretty trustworthy guy, you know. So like like rely on it, like you rely on anything in Tanakh, you know. And obviously it's best if you could understand it to, you know, to the clarity and conviction of your own mind, but you don't need to make that a priority if you're, uh, if you're pressed for time in life. Okay. That's my first tip. Second tip, use an English translation when answering question one. Okay. But then use Hebrew when answering question two. The reason why is because again, Mishle, small scope, you can afford to learn the Hebrew and then translate it to English and then flip back and forth. Tehillim is poetic. The Hebrew is hard. We're not native biblical Hebrew speakers. So I, I find it easier to think big picture in English. So what I do usually my practice is I do work through the translation, but I type it all out. And then I think about it in English after I decide on my translation. And then when I do, when I do the second question, then I go to the nitty gritties in Hebrew. Um If you are not fluent enough in Hebrew to come up with your own translation, pick a translation, you know, our scroll, living knock, altar, whoever you choose. And then just like focus on that and think about question one in the big picture from that then if you can, for question two, you, it really does pay to go to the, the details because the devil is in the details. Um, uh, okay. Three, uh, continually refocus on the big picture. It's very easy to lose the forest for the trees. Okay. And get caught in the nitty gritties. Um, so many prognosis that I failed to learn it's because I've gotten too caught up in the details and I just lose, pic- lose, lose, uh, lose the big picture. And then when I get the big picture, then it clicks, you know, so don't lose track of that. Be, Oh, I said this earlier. Be sure to formulate your answer to question one. What is the main idea? Uh, uh um formulate it in um one to four concise sentences if you can um and um uh and not just a theme okay <laughs> next point think first and consult all the afterwards This we do in michley because it's so long if you just Automatically go to the mafarshim. You'll end up just learning mafarshim all day. You know, try to get an idea first, and then test it out by going to the mafarshim afterwards. You'll gain a lot more from the mafarshim. You know, this is again a classic way to learn Rashi: uh, the "What's bothering Rashi" method. Rashi is not commenting; he's answering questions that you should be asking. You know, so you should be asking the questions on your own and answering them, and then going to the Mepharshim Here, um, while I'm here, I should mention my go-to mafarshim for Talmud are in this order. Well, okay. Yeah, in this order. Radak, Matsudis David, full stop. <laughs> okay, I say in this order because if you're short on time, then you do Matsudis David first. But Radak it has n- like almost never let me down on Talim. I I'll also had Ibn Ezra, but Ibn Ezra is a little bit more inconsistent. So the three I plan to do for our Talim are Radak, Matsudis David, and Ibn Ezra. Um, but there are other good ones as well, but those are consistently good. Um, okay, this is a hard one, especially for uh, certain... certain uh, certain people. Okay. Uh, read with your emotions, then analyze with your mind. This is poetry. Now I hate, I hated poetry in high school. I have a very hard time getting into poetry. Now I'm kind of learning the ropes of poetry from Dylan, but this is a book written for the emotions. Let it wash over you emotionally, but then don't just like, don't derive the ideas from your feelings. That's not called learning. Okay. Uh, you know, get the emotional impact, which is what Dove is trying to have uh, the effect he's trying to have on you. But then learn the actual ideas and see if the emotional impact that you first had the impression of actually lines up with the ideas, uh, or if like you're missing something in the ideas or the emotional impact. But the point is, is read with your emotions. And um, I think I guess those are all my tips. And this actually brings us to the end of the scheduled cheer. So as usual, I'll stay on if anyone has questions. Uh, Rabbit Fader starting a cheer at eight, um, but the plan will be. Um, to start with Tehillim, uh, Ms. Roshio at Leom Hashabas on Thursday. And what I want you to do, those of you who are in the Shear, again, I have not decided whether I want this to be a community Shear or not. Um, part of it is going to be my decision. Part of it is going to be the guy, the people who are usually in this Shear. If you're interested in joining the Shear on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, even occasionally, WhatsApp me. Or email me to let me know that you're interested, and I'll let you know by Thursday what my decision is. Um, I, you know, the, 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 it's a delicate learning balance about crafting an environment of a and yeshiva, and I don't want to upset the people who are actually like in yeshiva full time, uh, by like taking away like their, uh, their, you know, their learning experience. So, uh, yeah, that's it. So, if you have any questions, feel free to ask them. If not, then, uh, then have a good night, and uh, hope this was beneficial. Thank you welcome. Again, I know this is a little one-sided compared to the normal uh, Tuesday and Thursday night here, but hopefully that'll change when we get into the uh, into the actual learning. Thank you so oh, much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Thank yeah. you Mark. Thank you. All right, have a good night. Glad I heard it a second time. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad you did, too. <laughs> thanks. Right, thanks for joining Second, Seconded. Good. Hey,
1: Interrupted.
0: Yeah, hey, how's it going? Um,
1: this is kind of interesting. This is, um, have you ever heard of Rabbi Echelam, Yitzhak Echelam?
0: I have. I, I believe I've even read stuff, but it's been a while. Uh, is he associated with Gush, or am I imagining that? Yeah, yeah, he, he does have a lot to do with that. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, I I haven't, I don't know him very well, but i definitely read stuff, and I've heard of his name. I think, like, all
2: his kids went there. I think he went, okay. no, he went to Cambia. but yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, I, I know um, associated with some uh, Israeli Shiva. yeah. Oh, it's still recording. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, I'll stop. Were- yeah, that, uh, I forgot. Uh, let me stop. Hold on. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash